The Gospel of our Lord, taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. These are the words of our sermon text also. You've heard, it, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Reka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are suffering, or if you are offering, I'm sorry, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is our gospel lesson, the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I, uh, I thank the congregation for not listening to what I said. My wife has done this all my ministry, and I'm starting to read lips. Uh, she said I said 635, it was 631. And you all follow that well, so I'll give you a break. You didn't have to listen to what I said there, but now you do, okay? Dear friends in Christ, I've always thought that uh, it'd be kind of fun to make a little board game called, Is It a Sin? And the reason why I say that is because, well, let me ask you, have you ever done this where you went through a particular situation in your life, or maybe you were just daydreaming and thinking about a certain situation in life, and then you went to your pastor, or maybe brought something up in Bible class. Pastor, was that a sin? You know, for all the times that I've heard that particular question, is it a sin, I probably, and got a dollar for it, I probably could have retired at 50 instead of 65. You know, things like this. Pastor, if you're in the desert, and uh, I'm going along in, the, in a car, and, and suddenly I come upon an accident, and in the car there's someone who's really struggling to stay alive. Uh, Pastor, Pastor, if, if, uh, if this person wants me to baptize them and there I am in the desert without any water, can I use my saliva? My answer to that one was, call me when it happens. <laughs> or how about a child? A child who says this, Pastor, I want to know if this is a sin or not. Uh, my mom and dad told me that I needed to get in bed and stay in bed and be there uh, and not get out until the sun comes up. 
But my little brother was crying out for water. He wanted some water. And I know that if he didn't get some water, he was going to die before the morning. And if he was going to die before the morning, I knew I had to get him some water. So was it okay if I got out and got him some water? Is that a sin? Well, parents, you answer that. I'm past that stage. All right. You know, we, we come into church, and part of a Lutheran service is the beginning is truly the confession and absolution, right? And when we confess our sins, we, uh, we often confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. And when we say that we're sinful and unclean and acknowledge that, what we're saying to the Lord is, you know, everything I do is tainted by sin some way, somehow. You know, Prophet Isaiah said that, that even our righteous things that we do are as filthy rags, right? And we need your forgiveness. And that's when the pastor is able then to say, uh, that he's been authorized by the Lord himself, as every Christian is, to say, your sins are forgiven because Jesus has taken them away. We confess our sins, all of them, all of them. Today, we're continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we're still in Matthew chapter 5. We're not going to go much further because we'll be in Lent. But uh, what I want to say here today is, this all follows so well how Jesus, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, how logical it really is. Verses 12 verses that we talked about were the Beatitudes. Blessed are they, you know. And last week we said, or Jesus, we were talking about the, the Sermon on the Mount, we were talking about how Jesus said about his his people, people like me and you, godly people, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And now he goes into this explanation of the commandment that we number number five in the Lutheran church, and that is you shall not murder. Other churches, there are other churches that number the commandments differently. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. With these words, we can really see how our Lord says to us how he values life. And he tells us here uh, the meaning of the requirements of the, of the commandment, and then he, he also shows to us exactly that how he kept those requirements for us, for you and for me. Now, we as God's people are really a dichotomy. And what I mean by that is this, that we are actually two in one. Not like the Trinity or anything like that. But when we're born into this world, the Bible says that we're born, and everybody is born this way, we have a sinful nature. King David said it in Psalm 51.5. He said, from the very beginning, from your birth, you were a sinner. Even from the time we were conceived, we were sinners. And that showed. Every parent knows that. In fact, your parents could have said that about you. 
Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You know how to do it. It came natural. I am convinced the first word from children's mouth, now you might disagree with me. Some of you might say, well, it's mama or dada. I don't think so. I think they know the word no. Right? They know exactly what that means. And why is it that it's impossible almost to teach your children how to say thank you? Because they're sinners inside, right? That's one aspect of every person. We have a sinful nature. On the other hand, when God brings us to faith, through the power of his Spirit, for most of us it's probably our baptism when God set us aside and planted the seed of faith, we also were given the new man. Depends which translation of the Bible you're using. The new man, the new self versus the old self, right? And what does the new self want? It, it loves the Lord. The new self loves the Lord and loves to obey the commandments. We love them because they are an expression of way, a way we can thank God for what he's done for us in our lives. So here we are, old and new. And what happens? Conflict. Right? Conflict. Badly. Sometimes the old Adam, the old sinful nature wins, the old self. Sometimes the new nature, back and forth. <laughs> That's the battle we go through as Christian people, right? All the way on this side of the grave. When we take a look at the commandments, the commandments, and, and Martin Luther said this, and you probably learned this when you went through catechism classes, the three uses of God's law. The first use is, God's law as a mirror, right? When we take a look at the commandments and we compare our lives uh, to the Ten Commandments, uh, it's like a mirror. We see ourselves as we really are. When we take a look at the mirror and see, look at ourselves, we start to notice all the age spots or the hairline's going or the hair is going, period. We see all the blemishes. We see all the bad things. Because that's what God's law does. It points out the evil. The law, according to the Apostle Paul, said the law makes us conscious of our sin, right? Of our sin. So there we are, conscious of our sin from the mirror of the law. When uh, Oliver Cromwell uh, was asked this question, he was, uh, the, the people of Britain wanted him to sit down and have a painting made so that they could put it up in the, in the parliament along with all the other rulers that they had. And he didn't want to do it. But finally he conceded. And he says, there's only one way I'm going to have that done, he said. If you paint me warts and all. And that's what the Ten Commandments do to us. Reveals all the warts, right? all the sins that we've ever done. 
And the sinful nature doesn't like that. In fact, I would imagine that you're probably saying to yourself, gee, pastor, you must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. But it's absolutely true. Our old sinful nature wants to say something like, well, yeah, but what does God expect from me? That I'm supposed to be perfect? Well, yeah, right? Be perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect? Well, I, I do more good than bad. Oh, do you really? Are you really honest with me? Are you really honest with yourself? I'm as good as the next guy who you're comparing yourself to. I didn't think that was the way it was supposed to be. You're supposed to compare yourself with God, not with others. He explains here, Jesus, an application of all of those things when he starts talking about the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. And this is what Jesus says. He said, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to his brother, Reka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Now, I'm old enough, and I think some of you are old enough too, that I could say, the way I learned the Ten Commandments, I learned when we were using the KJV, the King James Version of the Bible. And what does it say there? The King James Version of the Bible says, in the Fifth Commandment, it says, thou shall not kill. And you'll notice that translations now use the word murder. You see, there is a difference between killing and murder. Thank God we never have to do that, make that difference, or, or choose when we're in heaven because it will never be a problem. But on this earth, it is. I mean, many of you are military veterans. We're in the military. And what are you trained to do? You know, if an if a enemy army comes this way, you're... You're here to protect the nation. You're here to protect uh, the people of the United States of America. You're here to show your love. And what may that entail? That may entail killing the enemy. In my ministry, I've been a pastor to many a policeman. And what was their duty? To protect the citizens. So if someone is trying to do something the hurtful or harmful to someone else, it may mean that that policeman must shoot that person. And you too, in protecting yourself and your family, you may be called on to do that. Like I said, thank God we'll never have to make that decision in heaven. But Jesus here goes into a great amount of detail when he starts talking about the fifth commandment. A lot of people would say, well, I've never taken anybody's life. I didn't. So I haven't committed a sin against the fifth commandment. And the Lord would say, hold everything. Right? Hold everything. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Think of the first murder that took place in the history of the world. That was Cain, wasn't it? Adam and Eve's son. 
second generation of civilization killed his brother Abel. And you notice how sin makes people really ignorant. So what did he do with the body of Abel? He buried it. What was the point? Trying to, trying to keep from acknowledging the fact that he was gone or whatever. Hide it from someone. Maybe they won't notice. Even mom and dad. Like I said, sin makes people pretty ignorant. And we make all kinds of excuses. After the time of the prophets, and what I mean by that is, after the time of Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, about 400 years until the New Testament, there were two schools, one called the Shemai, and the other called the Hillel. And they were kind of like the seminaries that trained rabbis in Jewish culture. And they had all kinds of interpretations of what the fifth commandment really said. But Jesus tells us what it really says. If you hate somebody, you've already murdered. If you've thought evil and wanted evil on somebody, you've already murdered. He says here, if you call someone reka, that's an Aramaic word. You know what it means? Moron. Empty head. Let me use some words. I grew up in a family of five boys. Brainless. Idiot. Stupid. Now, parents are saying, don't listen to pastor right now, right? Well, kids, do listen to me. Don't say those words. Because God doesn't take kindly to them. He even says here, he says, if you use those words, you might be brought before the Sanhedrin. In other words, if you libel someone, if you slander someone, you can be taken to court. But then he goes on, and what else does he say? Those kind of words will also bring condemnation on you so that you are, you are guilty and doomed to the fires of hell. It's sin. It's not just taking someone's life. It's all about hate, the lack of love. That's what this commandment is all about. I was once called to be on a jury. Um, I've been called to be a jurist uh, on a jury a couple times, but I never had to go. But one time when I was called, I had to go. And uh, I was part of a pool of about, 100 and, uh, about 68 people. This is in the city of Atlanta. And uh, I made the first cut. They pared it down to about 32 people. And then they put us into, and I, maybe I'm telling people you're the choir, maybe you've gone through this. They put us in the jury box, and then the attorneys from each side and the, and the uh, judge asked us all kinds of questions. As a pastor, he asked me, uh, do you have some kind of opinion about capital punishment? 
not told them what the Bible says, whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, right? That the government here, in the, any government, is there to protect people, even bearing the sword if necessary, right? But there was one question that was asked of absolutely everybody, and it absolutely floored me. The question was asked, do you know someone close to you who was murdered? A friend or a family member? About 40% said yes. I had a friend and they told a story. Or a family member. I guess I thank God for my childhood and my sheltered childhood. See, really, however, when it comes to the courtroom, we're all on trial for murder. If we went into God's courtroom, we wouldn't have a jury, or maybe we would have a jury, and the jury would be God, and he'd be the judge too, wouldn't he? And if he were to judge on the basis of truth, all of us would be condemned condemned that we would suffer in the fires of hell, as he says here. We would have to get on our knees and say, Gracious God, loving God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus once said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. It's interesting, the evil thoughts then comes murder, right? But he also includes other things. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. You hear that? Goes back to the evil heart that we all have. Do we ever need Jesus? Do we ever need Jesus? He even makes some application here. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. You know, there is so little harmony that's found in this world. There's so little peace that's found in this world. And Jesus said that's the way it would be right up to the very end of time. There would be wars and rumors of wars. And he even talks about what's going to happen in the family where Parents will not like their children, and the children won't like their parents, and fathers won't like their sons, and their sons won't like their fathers, and the mothers won't like their daughters, and the daughters won't like their mothers. And you know, it even spreads to the church. Satan loves it when he gets into the church and people are fighting with one another. That's not the way it ought to be. This is the place of forgiveness from God to us, to others, to others. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is this one. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Think what you've been forgiven and forgive one another. This passage that I read here, let me read it again, is often used also in preparation for the Lord's Supper. You probably 
learned that in your catechism when you were growing up. It says, uh, therefore, if you, off- you, if, uh, you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your bo- brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now think about what we're doing. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we're coming to, to receive God's personal guarantee, Jesus' personal guarantee, individually, one-on-one, of our forgiveness or of his forgiveness to us. It's not just bread. It's not just wine. He says it's the body and blood given and shed for you. And into your mouth, in such a personal and intimate way, you receive that body and blood to personally assure you of your forgiveness. Now when we walk away, do we have any right to hold grudges against someone else? I don't think so. In fact, I know so. Settle matters with your neighbor. Settle matters with your family. Settle matters with your church members. To settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. We have a society that is sue happy. We're, we have a litigious uh, society. Even the elite, you hear this all the time. I'm going to sue, I'm going to sue, I'm going to sue. You know, in 1 Corinthians, in the, in the church at Corinth, and we've been reading from, the first, uh, from Corinth, right? The Corinthian letters. They had a problem with that too. That there were people in the church that were actually suing members of the church. And what did Paul say? He says, the fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheap? So, the fifth commandment, have we failed? I'm not going to speak for you, but I could, and I could say, yes, you've, you've sinned, as I have. Right? As I have. And like I said before, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. What a, what a wonderful Savior we have. That God the Son would come to this earth and show himself to be who he really is, our magnificent God. He did all sorts of miracles to prove it. He healed the blind and the deaf and the dumb. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the sick to be cured. He even raised the dead. Because he's the son of God. He's God himself. And that's absolutely incredible. But let me ask you this. Don't you think it's also absolutely wonderful and awesome that we have a Savior who came to the sinful earth and while on this sinful earth, in spite of all the sin around, not once did he fail to love. 
Not once did he say the wrong thing. Not once did he ever think the wrong thing. And people were around him all the time. I mean, there were times that he could probably hardly breathe because of all the people that were there. And there were people who didn't want him, who didn't like him, who rebuked him, who hated him. There were even people who, who mocked him and, and even beat him. And he still loved. He didn't hate. And then there was the Apostle Peter who saw it all. And he wrote about it in his epistle. And this is what he says. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before you. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore your sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. Your failures and my failures were exchanged for his perfection. We get credit for what he did. And he got credit for what we did. We get credit and are declared righteous. God doesn't see any sin in you because Jesus' life is your life. And our life was Jesus' life and was punished for all. Sins paid for, complete, done, nothing more to do. I said, the sermon theme today is Jesus values life. Isn't that the proof? Isn't that the proof? Jesus values life. Your life and my life for eternity. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.